Hi guys, welcome to the church split. My name is Will. You guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically and challenge the status quo. And, you know, last time we had uh, our guest, David Palman on with, uh, faith because of reason. And we discussed his story leaving the IFB and a lot of things that came up. And one of the big things that this involves in is how we think and how that Christ, the Christian faith has and always will be diverse in its thinking, but there's always going to be a unity in essential doctrines. But one of the things that is a passion of David's and it's a passion of mine's, but I think it's definitely a passion of David's is, is philosophy. And it is a, not just any philosophy, but a, a particular field of philosophy, which is what is referred to as epistemology, which is essentially the study of knowledge, what is knowledge, things along that nature. So uh, David is, um, he's not, he doesn't have his PhD in it or anything yet, most likely, uh, but uh, he is definitely a, a strong student of this. So I wanted to have him on as a follow-up episode because some of our listeners are very, are people who desire to really learn and dig deep in some of these topics. And I wanted you guys, some people, if you don't know the realm of philosophy, it can be very intimidating and it can be, almost be overwhelming. So I don't want you guys to be, to be overwhelmed. I want you guys to just hear some of this stuff. And if this is something that interests you, maybe I'll have uh, David give us some recommendations at the end of this episode of places for people to start. So uh, anyway, well, no further ado, David Paulman, the one and only, how you doing? There's actually another one. I mean, my uncle has the same name. Oh. But I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, the the one and only that I know of. Actually, apparently there's another IFB clone of you because uh, my new roomies uh, who just moved in from the IFB, they knew David Paulman. And apparently he was extremely IFB. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to interview David Paulman tonight. And they're like, David Paulman? And I'm like, oh, no, not that one. Not the one you're talking about. No, no, different David Paulman. <laughs> So it, maybe you're not the one and only. So, all right. Well, David, um, now we talked about your story of leaving the IFB, and now you are uh, you describe you are a self-promoting radical internalist, a foundationalist, and a few other ists that people probably don't know what we're talking about, and that's okay because that's what we're going to discuss a little bit today. This will be a a uh, bird's eye view and a nice introductory view on how this goes about because it's philosophy is important, right? So, um, and I, I don't know if you know, I heard this all the time. I'm sure you did too growing up that uh, to get into philosophy was to compromise the very word of God. So I think it's important we discuss this because I don't think that's actually true. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you can't study that, man. I mean, haven't you ever read Colossians? Colossians 2, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. So, yeah, no, can't touch philosophy with a 10 foot pole. Which is because that's philosophy. totally what Paul, that's, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good response. Which is totally yes. philosophy. Um, I did, a, I did a whole paper of that, actually, while I was in an IFB school um, about Colossians 2 and what it's actually talking about. Um, but no, yeah, the word there is just, just talking about don't be taken captive through philosophies or vain deceit, which are not um, after Christ, but that are after the traditions of men. And actually, it presupposes that there's such a thing as Christian philosophy, because it's saying beware about being taken captive through philosophies that are not after Christ. And so if you want to avoid being taken captive through philosophy that uh, is not after Christ, you had better. Can I, can I say darn on this show? You can say whatever you want. Yes. Okay, then you had better darn well know what Christian philosophy is, so as to avoid being taken captive by the philosophy that is not after Christ. And so actually, I think that Colossians 2 presupposes that there's such a thing as Christian philosophy, and then at least strongly implies that we had better darn well be familiar with it. I, I, I totally agree. And uh, that's, uh, uh, by the way, it's funny. I actually pride myself in being more of the uncensored uh, church show. I kind of enjoy that. Uh, it, call it my edgelord in me. So that deep down there's an edgelord and he he has to exist. But uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, Necessarily no. exists. Uh oh, okay. We're already getting there. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so the thing is, is that one of the things, so you already said that there is a presupposition uh, in, such a, in such a verse that there is a Christian philosophy. And theology, which is the study of God, 
naturally and by necessity is connected to philosophy because philosophy is the way we uh, make sense of reality. It's the very way that we perceive things. It's the way we see and the way we make sense of it and we justify and uh, coherence and all these things that you use, oh, well, this makes sense to me. When you say this makes sense or, oh, that seems true. Those are by nature attached to philosophy. So people have a tendency to just think that like philosophy must be something like hedonism or something. No, that's a type of the many philosophies. Philosophy is just a very large umbrella. <laughs> so uh, anyway. And one thing one, one thing that's important to realize is that everyone has one, right? So something, and you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this as someone from the IFB, is that like, I would hear a lot of preaching of like, I don't care about man's philosophies. You know, I just want to know what the word of God says. You know, that is a man's philosophy. And it's not a bad thing because we all, have one everyone is a philosopher and the only question is are you a good one or are you a bad one and as i was saying to you before we recorded this if you say that you don't do philosophy or that you're not a philosopher that's a big hint that you're a bad philosopher <laughs> uh, i say you know it's uh and one of my favorite things is like yeah you definitely know someone's a bad philosopher when they say moral morality is subjective but meanwhile, always cry with, uh, make moral outcries and say that society is unfair. It's a good sign of someone who is not a good philosopher because you're holding two inconsistent positions. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so theology and philosophy are important and they go hand in hand. And when you learn, and one of the big reasons things you and I were talking about before we started recording was that philosophy is attached to apologetics. Now, people who are an avid listener of this show are aware of the fact that I am passionate about apologetics, extremely so, and I, I wish I could talk about it more on the show, but it always takes us different directions. But uh, apologetics is one of my big things, and apologetics is simply making a defense of the faith. But depending on your philosophy will radically shift the way you try to defend your faith. Uh, so yeah. with that being said, um, how do you, how, is there anything you wanted to comment on that as far as how apologetics can directly, like, actually a great example, maybe uh, the differences between a classical apologist or an evidentialist versus a presuppositionalist. Yeah, yeah. So if we're going to talk about epistemology, one thing that I think really makes that relevant to our faith is that, you know, we are called to be defenders of the faith, that we're called to uh, be apologists. And so when we are um, being apologists, then we are trying to give justification for believing that Christianity is true. We're trying to give reasons for thinking that it's the case. And so that connects us to epistemology because epistemology is a study of knowledge. And at least we'll probably get into why this is controversial later, but the traditional definition of knowledge is a justified true belief. And so this issue of justification links epistemology inextricably to uh, apologetics, uh, because if we're trying to give a justification, then that's going to be determined. Like what we think that means to give a justification is going to be determined by, you know, what we think justification is, what it looks like, what's the structure of it. And immediately there, you're doing epistemology. So your apologetic will be shaped by the sort of epistemology that you hold. And so by realizing that and by focusing in, you know, drilling down on that, then, you know, we can see, are we you know, being consistent with our own epistemology? And so, yeah, you bring up that there are different apologetic methodologies. And the reason there are is because there are different epistemologies. So if you're a presuppositionalist, for example, and there's a whole bunch of different types of presuppositionalism, but basically their argument is that, well, you know, if you don't presuppose the God of the Bible, you can't know anything at all. Well, that's a knowledge claim. So that is, uh, it's, it's tied to an epistemology. You're gonna say that no other epistemology can get you knowledge, so you have to presuppose out of scripture that is an epistemology and in fact 
presuppositionalists pretty much they they will acknowledge that if you're an evidentialist in your epistemology then you know there is a sort of epistemology known as evidentialism right you think our beliefs are only appropriately held when they're based on evidence so how are you going to defend the faith well you're going to try to show evidences that think it's the case maybe a reformed epistemologist right uh and that can be a sort of apologetic you think that you actually don't need arguments to believe in god and that it can just be a belief that you um can be warned in holding uh, because maybe it's produced by a, a properly functioning cognitive faculty, something like that. So kind of how we defend the faith is very closely tied to our epistemology. And sorry, that was probably a much longer answer than you were looking for. Oh, no, actually, that was awesome. No, I, that's the kind of thing what I mean, like where you want to break down on here for people who are like, I've heard these terms. But what do they mean? And just so you know, uh, just because we don't hold a certain position, I do attempt to steal man. Uh, the positions. Now, granted, I might add a cheeky remark, and let's be honest, most cheeky remarks are some form of a straw man. Okay, we can understand that's what memes are. Memes are never intended to properly represent. They're made to make fun. Okay, so um, anyway, so that, yeah, absolutely. And what, what's funny is I, I think more people, we, right when you mentioned like evidentialism, okay, well, that means I have to provide evidence for my position. And it's funny how many people might even be like, well, no, you can't justify knowledge without God. But meanwhile, they do try to provide evidences. So it's almost like they're, you know, there's a little bit of a having your cake and eating it too there. Uh, but uh, yes. a lot of a lot of people do that where they they don't quite realize it. So they, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that they're actually trying to do evidential evidentialism without even noticing, because that's one of the biggest things I hear nowadays. All right, do you have the data? What, what, what evidence do you have for that position? Things along that nature. So I just, anyway, it is an interesting discussion. So one of the big things in epistemology, now again, this is epistemology is the study of knowledge and its nature. So when it comes to your apologetic, now what position of apologetics do you say, as far as methodologies, do you hold to? Yeah, so I would be kind of um, an evidentialist, but I don't have a problem with classical apologetics either. So the distinction between classical apologetics and it's called evidential apologetics, I think it really should be called historical apologetics, because you could be an evidentialist in your epistemology and use either of these methods. Classical apologetics is just it's two steps. You show that God exists. You show that basically Jesus rose from the dead. So, you know, Jesus gives us reveals to us, you know, uh, specifics about that God that we've already shown exists. Uh, the evidentialist or the historical method says, actually, you don't have to show that God exists because the evidence for Jesus's resurrection, the reliability of the New Testament, it's actually good enough on its own. And we can just demonstrate that and God's existence is going to be required if Jesus rose from the dead, right? We'll say that that's the best explanation for Jesus rising from the dead is that God rose him from the dead. And uh, so really, that's the only difference between the two. They are both very dependent on evidences. So um, they actually, they're very compatible with a, um, an evidentialist epistemology, even though one field of apologetics is called evidential apologetics. I'm good with either one. But technically, I fit in the evidentialist camp. I don't think you have to prove that God exists before you could make a case for Jesus's resurrection. I, I, yeah, and I also am more in the evidentialist camp, although I'll oftentimes, uh, like if I'm given a sermon on apologetics, hey, Will, can you, I'll do a classical approach first. Um, and it's funny because I'll do a classical approach, even though I technically would be more in the evidential camp. And it's just because I'm like, I don't know which one needs what first for people, what's more convincing. So I'm going to, you know, both barrels of my shotgun fire. And, uh, you know, we have an argument for God and we have an argument for the resurrection. Let's combine them with that. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of my method. Now, so with that being said, then there's the other, as we had discussed earlier, that the presuppositional apologetic is always assuming that just God does exist. So these are so these are the three main fields. So you have assuming God exists, or and then as you said, classical is giving evidence for uh, an argument for God and evidence of the resurrection, and then evidentialist is just hey the evidence of the New Testament alone. And so you can just tell these are different levels. And the uh, you know and uh, you and I are both wouldn't consider ourselves presuppositionalists. Uh, yeah, that's just. David Pullman is known in all theology groups for ragging hard on his presuppositional friends. And, uh, and I could actually say this, David actually lives up to the fact that he is friends with people whom he disagrees with. And that's, that's a good thing. So, um, but 
point is here. So now this brings us to the next step. So how do you think we can get there to understanding the importances of these things and the way it relates to reality? Because that's what philosophy is, you know, making sense of reality, to put it in simple terms. Um, you feel free to correct me if you'd like on however you want to define that. Um, so, uh, but you, there's a big thing that, you know, you, you were talking about getting into a little bit when it comes to foundationalism and coherentism and th things along that nature. Want to break that down a bit for our listeners? Sure. So kind of just to go back then kind of from apologetics to epistemology, we defined that as the study of knowledge and what is knowledge is kind of the first question. And so historically, this has been understood to be a justified true belief. And each part of that is important, right? Like, can I know something without believing it? I don't think so. Um, what about if I believe something, but it's not true, then I don't know it, right? So it's got to be true. I've got to believe it. But I also like, maybe I just like pulled this belief out of a hat, right? That, um, you know, that God exists, right? Maybe I just, you know, randomly decided I'm going to believe it. Maybe I even happen to be right. But it seems like that it's still, I don't know that. I got to have some kind of reason for it. So it's got to be justified. So knowledge would be justified true belief. Now, the true belief part, that's not really controversial. Um, when we're talking about justification, <clears throat> particularly, we're not talking about the, the Christian doctrine of justification, right? Justification by faith, not what we're talking about. We're talking about epistemic justification. And that just means having um, an acceptable reason for believing something. But now that it seems easy, right? Right. If I just say, you know, oh, well, why do you believe this? Right. Why do you believe that God exists? seems like you should have a reason for that, right? Why do you think the Bible's true? You should have a reason for that. Uh, why do you believe that you can't lose your salvation? You should have a reason for that. Why do you believe you can lose your salvation? You should have a reason for that. So it's really intuitive that we kind of need these reasons, but it gets difficult when you can say, you can actually ask, why do you, you know, believe that reason, right? So maybe, you know, why do you think you can lose your salvation? Well, the Bible teaches it. Why do you believe the Bible? Oh, well, because it's God's word. Why do you believe it's God's word? Well, because it says so. Ah, but you know, that will only work if you already uh, accept that the Bible is true, which is what they had just asked you. So the thing is, you can keep asking the question. You can keep asking the why question. And this engenders what's kind of known as the regress problem in epistemology. And I really think this is what motivates epistemology. Because I mean, everyone, you know, when we're a kid, we always just, you know, why, 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 right? Uh, the problem is in epistemology, those people are known as skeptics. They're these people who say, and most, they don't usually really exist. It's just kind of a hypothetical person that you're fighting with is, you know, well, what if somebody wants to know, I should have reasons. And so epistemology, the, the classic battle then is to defeat this enemy of skepticism. And most, one of their most powerful arguments is this regress argument is that you can just keep asking why, right? And it looks like our options here are that, you know, either just going to bottom out somewhere and you're like, well, I don't actually have a reason for that. It's like, okay, then what about that top belief that, you know, depended on all these reasons, it kind of looks like that reason isn't actually justified at all because we got no reason at the bottom of it, right? And that's where the skeptic wants to kind of go with it. So some responses that have been formulated to this, um, well, one would be uh, coherentism, right? Maybe this kind of this chain of reasons, it goes in a circle, right? It kind of loops, loops back on itself. Uh, you know, philosophers have some problems with that. Uh, it looks like you're engaging in circular reasoning, right? Uh, we're not actually getting any justification. We're just going in a big circle. Uh, also, what if we have, you know, multiple circles, right? Like I can justify any belief just by making a coherent set for it. Uh, how am I able to differentiate between the circles? Uh, another thing that's, is, is called the isolation problem is that it seems like you could justify any belief just by making a coherent circle for it, right? As long as all the beliefs fit together, I can get any belief to be justified that way. So coherentism, is, it, it's been popular, more popular in the past. Um, it's not really all that popular right now. Uh, another solution would be, uh, what about infinitism, right? Maybe, maybe the reasons just go on forever, right? Maybe they're, they're, they never end anywhere. It's kind of a lazy <laughs> response. <laughs> the thing is, it hasn't been taken very seriously, but recently, I mean, it has, it has people who are defending it in the literature. And uh, 
you know, at one point, you know, it kind of seems like, well, it's obviously false, right? I mean, we don't do, do we have an infinite number of beliefs? I mean, I don't. <laughs> we can't we can't hold an infinite number of propositions for any for any one belief, let alone all our beliefs. Um, how can there be these infinite chains? Uh, so the infinitist is, of course, can be careful to say, well, yeah, of course, you don't, you don't have to know what all the reasons are, uh, but they, they, they just continue. You just don't you know, know what all of them are. But th this infinite chain is there, so you don't have to worry about it. You know, the question is, well, how do you know <laughs> the infinite chain is there? Maybe it's not there at all. Um, you know, if you are admitting that it's, you, you can't contain it all in your mind, then you don't really know that the chain is there. Maybe more fundamentally, maybe the chain is there. But it kind of seems like that doesn't matter, right? If I don't know what all the reasons are in that chain, it doesn't seem like it really, the belief is really supported, right? Like, let's say there's this fantastic argument for God's existence out there, but I believe in God because I like sour cream, you know, and I don't have any other reason for that. Um, it kind of seems like this great argument for God's existence doesn't support my belief, right? If I'm not aware of that argument, then my belief in God isn't justified by that argument just because it exists. So in the same way, even if this infinite chain really exists, if I don't know what all the members in it are, it seems like it kind of doesn't matter. It seems like it's not justifying my belief because I got no awareness of it. So uh, another solution, and the one that of course I favor is foundationalism. It says, well, the chain stops at some point. You've got um, a belief that you're justified in holding and you're justified in holding it on its own, right? Um, and I would say that the stage that's probably the most popular solution to the problem. Now, questions, of course, arise here. You know, well, how is it that that belief itself is going to be justified, right? It's not supported by another belief. So how does it get justified? And so, of course, I mean, you've got theories that they can justify themselves, theories that um, they can just like, oh, I don't have to know why it's justified, things like that. Um, my own theory would be known as the, the theory of direct acquaintance. So it would say uh, when you're directly acquainted with some fact, and, and maybe I'll give a little explanation of a direct acquaintance. Um, it's kind of like an awareness. So if you've got a headache, I think if you've got a headache uh, and you believe that you have a headache, are you really inferring that belief from some other belief? Because I mean, I don't make an inference to the belief that I have a headache, you know? I would say, um, that there's just this way that like, I, I, it's not a belief. So I would want to say that that's a direct acquaintance. The fact that I have a headache is something I have a direct acquaintance with. And it's something I can't be wrong about either, right? Because people want to bring in skeptical threats, like a, particularly uh, a visual perception, right? Like if I see something, people want to raise a question like, well, you know, how do you know your vision is giving you um, accurate information and stuff? But well, in yeah, the case I, of the headache- yeah, because then it goes almost into absurdity, right? I mean, at some point. So that's why direct acquaintance to me makes sense. Right. Um, it, it, in the case of the headache, right? Even if, um, I mean, it's like the thing you, you can't, can't be wrong about that. If you feel the pain, you feel the pain. Um, and I would extend that point, of course, to what you see as well. Well, yeah, we have hallucinations, see things that aren't really there, but we still see it. So there is this level, in my view, of certainty for some beliefs and the way they're justified is by direct acquaintance. Right. And I, yeah, and I agree with that. Otherwise what you end up doing it for me, like if you don't believe in direct acquaintance and of course then, okay, well that, like I said, how can you trust your eyes? How do you know you're not in a simulation? And then it just, it could just get into like complete absurdity uh, where it doesn't seem like it's, it's actually attached to my direct perception of reality, mm -hmm. you know, with what's directly in front of me. And uh, that's why in philosophy, in many ways, I'm also what's what's under, it's a whole nother Kadard, but I'm what we call real, I'm a realist or realism. Um, you know, that's where I kind of hang my hat. So anyway, that's another discussion for another time, but yeah. we'll, we'll move forward. But for that, I'm like, no, there's this thing, it's called reality and you have to make uh, sense of it. And I think direct acquaintance actually is the, as someone who suffers from chronic migraines, it was funny when I was actually watching your epistemology episode uh, on this and you, you hit the headache part, it's like, oh yes. Yep, I can relate with that hard because when if somebody was like, Will, but Will, how do you justify that you have a migraine? I'm like, because my head's splitting right now and I can't even think right now because all I feel is throbbing. <laughs> Thank you for, for condescending me in such a way. Now, do you have Excedrin or not? You know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, that, that that's the idea behind it is that basically it's just this direct connection that you have with reality. And you don't have to give a further belief at that point, right? It's this thing called an acquaintance. So an acquaintance is not, it's not a belief. Uh, it's instead, it's just this direct connection to a part of reality. And so, um, and of course, you know, there's objections to this theory and such, but that's, that's the theory that, you know, I mean, in my own channel, I've defended it in detail against contemporary objections. But um, so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Now, what all these options we've looked at here are bit broadly into a, a theory of justification known as epistemic internalism. And internalism says that you've got to have some awareness of something that justifies your belief, because you know otherwise um, it's no different than picking a belief out of a hat, right? If there's nothing that like makes a difference to me between my holding a belief because I picked it out of a hat and you know the belief that it's actually some reason I have for thinking it's true, like it's based on the principle that we shouldn't just be assuming that our beliefs are true, that there needs to be some reason for thinking that they are. And so that's why internalism poses this kind of awareness requirement. And that was pretty much assumed up until the 1960s. And then this new idea came along called externalism. And externalism says, "Nah, you don't need the you don't need the awareness there." Um, and so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to straw man them, but um, they don't like justification. I should I should I should be a little more careful here. So we said that the traditional definition of knowledge is a justified true belief. Most externalists are going to want to you know, say get rid of justification, bury it, you know, kill it, get it out of here. Let's talk about warranted true belief. Uh, now, it does get confusing, right? Because somebody like Alvin Plantinga, he doesn't like justification. So Alvin Plantinga is going to want to talk about Warren instead. But then you have other externalists like Michael Bergman who all who do use justification. And so it's very confusing. But what we're all talking about here, what we're all trying to get at is beliefs that are appropriately held. So a belief that has uh, what philosophers are going to call positive epistemic status. That is, it, it's not something that's just a stray hunch. It's not just an arbitrary conviction. It's something that um, that you can hold appropriately, that you're like, within your rights as it were to hold it and i'm sorry i'm not trying to make it too complicated but um yeah so the idea here um is normally that uh you don't have to have any awareness of why your belief is correct but they don't want to just say oh a true belief is knowledge so instead they're going to put some kind of reliability requirement in there so it's going to be something like um a true belief that came about through a reliable process or a true belief that came about through properly functioning cognitive faculties. So this is externalism. There's not awareness here, uh, but uh, there is this other requirement that there's gotta be some kind of reliability condition. So they'll be foundationalists in the sense that they think that the chain stops with a belief that you're you know, allowed to hold, that that is what they're gonna wanna say is warranted. Um, but you're not gonna know why it is. So you're not gonna have any like, actual reason that you're aware of at any rate for this belief. It's just in virtue of the fact that it was actually like ontologically, it was, or maybe I should say objectively, that might be a better word. It was objectively formed by a reliable process. So even though I have no, you know, from my perspective, I just found myself believing this, it's uh, it's still okay because from this third person perspective, nobody actually has, but this third person perspective, it, it came about reliably. It's okay. And that's popular right now. That's that's the that's like the main theory that's out there. Like my position internalism was like, ah, it's Descartes, that's that's outdated. We don't want that. Um so this is actually an epistemology. This kind of view, that is um the main view. So yeah. Yeah, it's funny because when you get into externalism and stuff, and I know it's definitely what's in vogue now. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Descartes because actually uh, my friend, uh, Brian, my co-host, his wife actually will 
quote Descartes from time to time. And it is, it is just funny to me that you mentioned it. So I was like, hey, uh, so uh, there's one person who will enjoy this episode. Um, but the thing is, is when you're dealing with like the, the, my, and one of my problems with, I'm not sure if I can articulate this well without getting too technical. My problem, uh, um, I guess for me is like the, when you get to externalism, when you're just going to warranted, then it almost seems, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, I, I'd be curious to have a conversation about this because this is what goes on in my brain, is when you go to just warranted beliefs instead of justified true beliefs, when you're going to warranted, then you're kind of granting the floor to most any belief because, well, as long as you've had whatever thought, experience, subjective, arbitrary, whatever, it becomes warranted. So that's when you end up with a lot of people with really crazy ideas and they're all, oh, well, it's warranted. You know, they, they've experienced X, Y, and Z. Um, but is it a justified true belief is, is my question. So yeah, yeah, I can tell you, you seem like you're chomping at the bit, go. Well, I say we can take it even further than that, right? So yes, there's a question of, well, you know, effectively I'll let you just take any belief that you hold and then you can say, Oh yeah, it was warranted. It came about through a reliable process. You're going to ask me why? I don't know why. I don't have to give you a why. It came about through a reliable process. Possibly. I mean, I don't know that either, but you know, if we're allowed to play that game, then I can play it too. And this is what Alvin Plantinga, by the way, does with belief in God, because he says, if you can, um, if you can just, you know, say that uh, your belief that what you see, what you hear, whatever, that it's just, it's warranted. You don't have to have any reason why, right? Then, um, I can do that with God. I can say that my belief in God is warranted. And I don't need an argument for it. And uh, so kind of, if you hold to the externalist view there, then that, that that is a danger there. But I think we can take it further than that. It's further than just that it allows basically any belief to be warranted. Um, what about a belief that you have overwhelming evidence against? You could have a belief that's completely made incredibly improbable or impossible by the evidence that you have, yet if it's formed reliably, then it's gonna be warranted given a very basic sort of externalism. Now, externalists are familiar with this problem. So what they're gonna wanna say is, okay, well, we're gonna make provision for what they call defeaters. So a defeater is uh, something that you know, it's basically a reason to reject a belief. So it's negative evidence against something. They're gonna say, okay, well then let's let's modify it. It's not just that it is um, a warranted true belief. It's a warranted true belief that isn't overcome by a greater defeater, right? So um, maybe my belief, uh, like maybe I believe in God, right? Maybe that's a properly basic warranted belief, but then there's something like the problem of evil, right? Well. Now I've got a defeater for my belief in God, right? One of the problems with this is that it seems kind of inconsistent, right? Like I don't, need, I don't, I don't have any kind of requirement that I have to have awareness of reasons for my beliefs. But if I have awareness of something against a belief, then that means I have to reject it why is the negative important like why is negative evidence important but positive evidence just isn't seems kind of inconsistent right so normally they're going to want to like bring up other arguments for externalism at that point but i do think that there is kind of that tension there that if you because uh, you know we want to ask why well what, what's the intelligible reason for saying that i should reject a belief because i, I don't have uh, or because i have uh, an argument against it and it's because it seems irrational, right? To it's irrational to hold a belief if I have evidence against evidence against it. But that same logic is also going to apply to the positive requirement that it seems irrational to hold a belief if I don't have evidence for it. So you know that that's one way you can um, go about responding to uh, externalists who try to kind of modify the thesis by saying, "Oh well, yeah, we'll we'll allow for defeaters." Right. And uh, well, then it's when you allow for defeaters. And th this is what always kind of got me. And again, maybe this is just because Will has an ape brain. Uh, so uh, <laughs> oh, now I'm going to get stoned. Thanks. Uh, so, <laughs> so the thing is, that it kind of sticks out to me. Like you said, it is that problem. I'm like, well, wait, if we allow for negative defeaters, 
but we say, you know, anything positive, you don't, the positives doesn't matter because you don't have to justify it, right? You don't have to justify it, you just need to have it warranted. So the positives up to that, you don't need to justify it. So you don't need to worry about the evidence is for, but suddenly when the negatives come out, you're right. It is, is that weird inconsistency that's like, but how do you balance that out? And I don't know, I've heard a few arguments in response and I just haven't found it to be convincing. Um, and again, I'm not saying that these people are complete total morons and all that. I think we're all wrestling with pretty deep stuff when we're talking about this stuff. So I, in order to wrestle with it, you can't be a complete idiot, I would hope. Um, maybe there's a few outliers out there, but it is that, that idea that it's like, well, if you, in a sense, and this is kind of what always brought, come to, came to my mind is to keep the law of non-contradiction in mind. If negative things that are uh, defeaters are allowed for externalism, then you are saying that they have to justify that warranted belief to some degree. Yeah, or at least you have to, um, you're saying internal reason, you're saying reliability isn't the full story. So you are effectively, and, and here's another question you can raise too, is they're basically assuming their cognitive faculties are functioning properly. The externalist is just assuming that. But he's going to say, but if you give me a reason to reject it, right, so we got evidence against it, then, okay, I'll reject the belief. But a question comes up here as well uh, about doesn't the very presence of defeaters maybe give us a reason to doubt that we should just be assuming that our cognitive faculties are giving us reliable information? Like if there are, like if there are instances where you can determine that the belief that your supposedly properly functioning cognitive faculties gave you was false. What, like, what on earth is making you think then that in cases where you don't have those defeaters, but it is working right? Like, what licenses that assumption, especially in light of defeaters? So, um, you know, I mean, that's just a proof that they aren't always functioning properly. The externals right. is going to admit that. So then, like, that I think gives a very serious reason for doubting that they just are in general. <laughs> exactly. And uh, as someone who has also, and then also I can't help but think of the people with various different mental disabilities. And there's a lot of things like that where it's like, well, different people have different cognitive abilities and different people have. This. So again, where the internalism position makes a lot of sense, uh, where it's, well, no, you know, for example, my, my youngest brother, he's got a couple of mental disabilities and he, uh, he used to have night terrors and you'd have to kind of like slap him out of it almost like you had to try to like, as he's screaming and flipping out, you're like, Hey, you know, come back to reality. You know, there was a justified moment there. If you want to really go down to his, what was going on psychologically for him to believe that something terrible was happening because of past experiences and everything else. So again, for me, there's also real world. Uh, implications to what we're saying here. Otherwise, we're just saying, well, it's warranted, but, mm, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into that too much, but just one of those things that kind of always sticks out in my mind when I, I always think of those moments, like with the night terrorists with my brother, where I'm like, well, how did I, 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 we'd have to kind of like reason with him because he was experiencing something. He had a direct acquaintance with something and he was trying to make sense of said thing. So you had to, okay, do you, so I would kind of go into that. Do you have a justified belief of what you're experiencing? And it helped yeah. him when he was six years old, going through some terrible things. Um, kind of makes sense of it. But this also, like you said, this presupposes that your your faculties, your mental faculties, are correcting, are working pr properly. Which means it brings in the other question of whether or not we can actually think or be autonomous. We, there's a comment on your YouTube page from a friend of mine, actually, that I got a very, oh no, it was on my page when I shared your video. It was hilarious because the person said when they, you, when you defended autonomous uh, reasoning that you were uh, defending like Western like culture. And I was like, wait, no, this is epistemology, not what? That's not, those are different things. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to explore that. Do you believe that people have autonomous reasoning or is it something with nature versus nurture, uh, what you're simply predisposed to and that you are to some degree predetermined to just think and function the way you are? So to some extent, you're going to have to unpack, you know, what did it, what, what do we mean when we say that reasoning is autonomous, mm -hmm. right? So in the video that that fellow was objecting to, um, 
I was very uh, deliberately utilizing presuppositionalist language. And I said that in the video, like I said, there are ways that human reasoning is not autonomous, right? I think we are dependent on kind of the acquaintances that we're given, right? So mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a sense in which we're not autonomous there. But that's not what the presuppositionalist means by it. He means that if you think you can get knowledge without presupposing that the Bible is true, basically, then that's autonomous reasoning. I think I can get knowledge without presupposing that the Bible is true. So by his definition of the word, I believe in autonomous reasoning. Is that the word I would have chosen to categorize it? No, I just call it reasoning. But um, <laughs> but they, they call it autonomous reasoning. And so, you know, that's why I use that term. Was I, was I trying maybe to, you know, uh, as you might say, poke the bear a little bit to, uh, you know, get uh, maybe make it a little clickbaity. Okay, maybe I was, but um, and that you know that's okay. I was using their language, uh, and you know I made that clear in the video. And so yes, I thought if I had a big title screen that said "In Defense of Autonomous Reasoning," that would definitely get them upset, and it definitely did based on like the number of response videos that have been made to it but um do i think we can be autonomous in like a really true sense of that word no I, I don't even know what it would mean to say that i like to have knowledge means you have knowledge of something minimally you're dependent on that something like otherwise you're not going to have knowledge of it so i mean knowledge by the nature of what it is it's not really an autonomous thing but what the presuppositionalist means by that yeah, we can have knowledge without assuming the Bible is the word of God. Well, right. And otherwise, I always find that such an absurd thought anyway, that like, you know, well, you can't have knowledge without assuming that he's, that's the word of God. I'm like, what? But then how do you justify all the people who are non-believers who are highly intelligent, who do lots of inventing, a lot of doctor work? They seem to have a lot of knowledge. Just oh, well, this there. is this is where this is where they go with like oh they got proximate knowledge but they don't have ultimate knowledge. Um, <laughs> you're like the heck. <laughs> it, just, it seems like at that point you're just creating a, a weird arbitrary distinctions. It's like oh, well yeah. no no there's a difference. I would just simply say they don't have they don't acknowledge transcendental knowledge. They don't understand transcendental knowledge, but they definitely can understand knowledge of reality around them. Uh, with the physical universe, they can interact with it, they understand it, they have direct acquaintance, if we might use the phrase, uh, you know, things along that nature. So I just, anyway, it's just, I find it very strange. It's a very strange thing, but you're right. No, so when it comes to auto being autonomous, uh, I, I, like yourself, you know, also, uh, so knowledge is external from us, right? So that's not, so anything that I believe, what? I, I would say, I would say knowledge itself is a belief. So it's something that's internal to me, but what it's uh, directed towards, what it's knowledge of, knowledge about uh, is going to be something external. Right. Okay. Yeah. It be. Right. So it can't be fully autonomous because my reasoning depends on knowledge and things outside of myself. But also, you know, there's things where it's like cognitive ability. Um you know, awareness, there's all these other things. So yeah, we're not fully autonomous, but that doesn't mean that, you know, and of course this goes into that free will discussion. If we really wanted to jump down that rabbit trail, which is another three hour discussion, but, uh, but if you wanted to get to the three hour discussion, of, but then that gets to the free will discussion of, you know, of how that, how that operates. And obviously uh, you and I both are uh, believers of at least to some degree of a free will. Um, I'm pretty sure that you are anyway. I think Got about like, God's sovereignty, Seth. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Come on, Will. You got to believe in the sovereignty of God. Haven't you read Romans 9? Come on, man. Oh, yes. I've read about it. I've read about Israel. Um, <laughs> um, just, uh, they, yeah. they didn't obtain what they were seeking because they didn't uh pursue it by faith oh wait we don't read that we don't read the last few verses of romans 9. Now, there's a few inconvenient moments may, uh, in romans 9 primarily that where it starts and where it ends <laughs> yeah or or if you or if you finish the argument out into romans uh 10 and 11 that, that they really don't like that yeah uh i always i always segue to from romans 8 i'm like well you know this, it said this here so with that in frame anyway that's a whole other discussion <laughs> and, uh, you're right it's a whole other discussion and one i would 
happily have because I am a huge, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I have a lot of Calvinist friends. Actually, a ton of Calvinists listen to this show. One of the uh, uh, very people who run uh, the RFP themselves is uh, more of a Calvinist slash reformed person. So I have friends that are reformed. I just very much disagree with Calvinism because I don't think it's I don't think it could be just, I don't think it'd be a justified true belief. Actually, it can be, but I'm just being a troll at this point. Uh, it can be a justified true belief. I just think it's false and I think the arguments are bad. I'll just put it that way. Now you can screech at me in the comments. Okay. Um, so uh, otherwise, so I, and this is, so, all right, let's just bring where rubber meets the road. Cause we've talked kind of broadly about a lot of things, right? There's, we discussed, uh, you know, philosophy into epistemology, into what is knowledge, into we've gotten into foundationalism and uh, coherentism, which, and, you know, we discussed that coherentism, a lot of things we can, yeah, we can make a lot of things coherent. It doesn't necessarily make it true. <laughs> um, so I don't say co be it, ha truth will be coherent, you know, like truth will be coherent, but it does not mean that coherentism is where it stands. Uh, so anyway, I just want to make sure that was clear. But um, so we got into coherentism and foundationalism. You said that you'd believe in foundationalism. I'd agree with you that there is a, a bottom line at some point. It does stop. And in order to justify that, you kind of have to be, uh, in many ways, an internalist. I know there are other positions, but I think internalism is um, probably the best way to dodge that, <laughs> where, it, where it flows from the other, I feel like, more naturally, where, yeah, so with internalism, I you know, have a direct acquaintance with things, and that's where I start building my justified true beliefs, and then exterior knowledge, and blah, 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 go down that road. And then, you know, you can get into, uh, you know, how, how it works as far as individuals, individuals work with knowledge. How do you say, David, because a lot of people are probably listening to this, are going, uh, okay, yeah, great. But how does this affect my Christian walk? How does it justify, how does this even impact my Christian life? Does it matter that I even know how to do these things? Can't I just live my life and just assume that, hey, I have knowledge, I don't need to understand how it works. So how would you think that this makes the rubber meet the road? Yeah, so, I mean, you, you can do that, right? And kind of one way I say to determine if you're gonna be an internalist or an externalist is, am I really okay with just assuming my beliefs are true, basically. Like, am I just okay with assuming that at the bottom, yeah, it was produced by properly functioning cognitive faculties. I, I can't verify that, but I'm just gonna believe that. Uh, if you are okay with that assumption, there's not a lot I can do to help a person like that. Um, you know, cause then when we're kind of at this level, I mean, we're, we're at the bottom. Like I can't appeal to something below that to show you that that's, that's wrong. I can just, you know, try to say, you know, this, I can try to give reasons why I don't think that that's a good way to go. But yeah, I mean, if someone wants to do that, you can do that. Uh, the question though is, you know, are you really interested in having true beliefs? And like, not, not everyone is going to like go into this in the kind of detail that I do. I get that. But you kind of want to be self-conscious in this area, right? Because uh, one thing I found is that every belief that we hold, practical beliefs that we hold, it all really does come back to this question of, you know, well, what is it that we really think justifies beliefs? Um, and it, it will also really help you to like identify like really bad arguments as well. Like when somebody's like, uh, like sometimes I'll just hear you like make an appeal to coherence and like you pointed out, well, yeah, coherence is necessary but it's not sufficient. So you got to do more and show me that something's coherent. So, I mean, is it, is it going to be terribly practical? I mean, maybe not, maybe not if we're dealing right at the foundations in this kind of abstract stuff that may not seem practical, but it does have relevance to what is practical because really most of the disagreements we're having, I mean, even like you know, political stuff, like over like uh, abortion or um, like what's a good, um, you know, theory of economics. This stuff does come back to what you think constitutes justification, right? Uh, this constitutes, you know, do you think evidence, you know, is important? Can I just, you know, like maybe maybe to uh, take an example of like uh, if we're arguing about it doesn't uh, an unborn person count as, um, or rather, does an unborn 
maybe they would want to say fetus, does that count as a, a person? Is that a human life? Well, you know, are you going to make an appeal to, oh, well, it's properly basic. I'm assuming that my belief about it, you know, is formed reliably. Or are you going to provide evidence for that, you know? Uh, so, I mean, there are real world practical implications here. So, I mean, it, it is in some way hard to give an easy answer to that question. I would say it affects the practical, even if it's maybe not directly practical. One of the things that comes to mind is nowadays we have subjectivism massively on the rise, right? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> instantly everyone ah, ah, ah. everyone starts choking and yeah it's awful uh so subjectivism is on the right it's part part of that postmodern like hey we redefine terms by your own thing but the thing is that externalism in many ways allows for that a little bit i can't tell you how many times i've argued with uh and had discussions and debates uh and conversations with people on that far end of the spectrum or even within actually the IFB themselves too. Like, let's not make it, let's not make it exclusive to just the left, the, ex, the extreme left, which is easy to poke fun at. Um, but let's also talk, you know, okay. So then also what about the IFB stuff? A lot of them will just bring it down to almost an emotional appeal, right? Yeah. Because as, as, and to them, that is, they are warranted in their belief. And the thing is, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. But is, what does the evidence say? And you could say, well, we allowed for defeaters. I'm like, yeah, but what if you have some defeaters, but they have some defeaters, but who has a stronger evidence? Then are you saying that that stronger evidence against doesn't matter as much? It might not be a full defeater. This might be evidence to the contrary on the opposite end of the spectrum, if that makes sense. Um, so for me, there are real world implications when you start building from the ground up and you start seeing, especially when I, I as I've seen subjectivism on the rise, I'm like, yeah, I think in, a, in an effort to, you know, try to make maybe knowledge a bit more, the idea of knowledge to be more digestible, because that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what externalism is. It's like, well, it's what's warranted and, you know, these things. I think what you've gotten there though, is almost the fact where you're justifying uh, well, maybe we should use that word language, um, but though, you know, you're allowing for some really bad, you know, some really bad beliefs just because of those situations. Am I making sense? Yeah. And I, I think your example um, before of taking it back to the ISB, like here's one example, like I would fight with my parents vigorously over this King James only issue. Right. And um, I would like want to appeal to evidence. Like I've got all those evidence here that shows that this story that you're telling about the King James Bible is not true. And what are they going to appeal to? Well, like, I mean, they sound like, I hate to say it, but like almost sound like the Mormons with the burning in the bosom. I mean, it was like, uh, well, you know, I just read the King James and it, it sounded like the word of God, or I read the King James and like the whole, I felt the Holy Spirit in this in a way that I didn't feel when I read the NIV, you know? bad epistemology but if you think that like you can just make those kinds of appeals i mean yeah you can really justify any belief and that does lead to subjectivism right because mm -hmm. well i like the niv because you know god told me and i like the i i like the book of mormon because i felt the burning in the bosom you know uh you just got it, it's so subjectivized that um yeah, it, it becomes very problematic. And of course, not just in religious beliefs, but that, right. that was a good example. And again, and, and I'm not saying that all externalists fit that bill. I just, it's one of those things that every time I read more and more about externalism, more I'm like, I think this allows a little bit too much credence to some of those positions a little bit more. Uh, and, and as someone who just despises, and may, who knows, maybe and just for grace on people who might disagree with me, it could be my pendulum swing, right? Like just my response, right? Ew, yeah, ugh. anything that is remotely reminds me of the, some of the horrible arguments I've experienced in my life. You know, maybe that was just my whole thing. Maybe I just wanted to run away from it. So uh, that's that's my thought there. So before uh, before we wrap up this particular episode, was there anything you wanted to really add when it came to this work that you want people to think about? Because this does have real world things, even though it seems like, oh man, you guys are just getting far too complicated, but it's not when you really understand the implications of where, that, where it can kind of lead. And again, I'm not trying to straw man anybody. I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's just, these are the thoughts that I have when I read them. Like I've experienced X, Y, Z, I've had a direct acquaintance with X, Y, and Z. And uh, 
man, I just don't, I think that, I think that gets, allows a little bit too much uh, uh, credence for some of those, uh, those bad arguments because we're just allowing for warranted and we're not making them justify their true belief. Um, so anyway, well, I digress. I mean, in, in one of the one, one sense that is kind of uh, one of the most important things, I think, in making the case against externalism is having a strong internalist alternative, uh, which I would say should be based on the theory of direct acquaintance, because uh, one of the big motivations for externalism is that, well, if you put this internalist awareness requirement on knowledge, you're going to end up in skepticism that you can't actually get justification for belief. So actually having a working theory uh, to show how you can get like from direct acquaintances to say even, you know, our religious beliefs, beliefs about God and stuff, that is itself incredibly valuable because externalism, it's not going to look good if you can make the case on internalist grounds. That's where it gets its popularity from is that, oh, well, if we don't take externalism, which internalism, then, you know, we're, we're going to not ever be able to know we're not brains and vats. So, you know, showing that to be false is going to strip externalism of its main motivation. But um, sorry, you asked me a completely different question, didn't you? Um, no idea. I think we just, oh yeah, I was just asking if there's anything you wanted to add. Sorry. I'm like, I just enjoyed the conversation and I will talk all night. This is just the way I roll. Um, so yeah, no, I was just asking if there's anything else you wanted to add here um, as far as like how you think this relates to people uh, on a real scale level before we close out at all or if not then uh we could just jump into how you think this can impact your evangelism yeah i mean i would say i think it uh is probably not in any sense obvious because you normally you can get along without reflecting on these kind of deep what a philosopher is going to want to call a meta level question like if you just kind of assume the reliability of your cognitive faculties, you're going to be able to mostly function in life because most people aren't going to ask you, you know, why, 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 why down to that very base level. Um, for me, I appreciated having the intellectual just assurance of knowing that all these beliefs I had up here actually were justified and it didn't just all bottom out with an assumption. Uh, if that is something that is valuable to a person then you've got motivation to go there but then you know beyond that just the stuff we already touched on is you know this provides a powerful solution to things like relativism because it's also the motivation behind relativism is that oh well nobody really knows anything at all you know we're all just kind of going with our assumptions if you can show that to be false you've got a lot of motivation to look into epistemology so it is deep it is dirty but like here here here's the thing is I, I, i'm not professional philosopher not by any means uh and you know i've mostly taught this to myself by reading and i'm not a super smart guy so if i can do this you can do it too right it's not quick going it, it, it will be slow going you know and it, that's okay you know you go one book at a time there's plenty of good introductory material out there i did a series you know on my youtube channel you can get the information for free it just does require putting some brain work in to it. And so, you know, I get it's not going to be for everyone. But yes, there are um, important real world uh, ways in that it can help. Right, exactly. So and I think that's helpful, too. Um, and so do you have any uh, a couple introductory books that you would recommend people for as sources outside yeah. of your channel? Well, yeah, yeah, my, cha my channel goes a little bit deeper on some of these things, though, even maybe than introductory material. So there's a really good one called How Do We Know? by uh, James Dew and um, Mark Foreman. Uh, and it's uh, it's very short. It's like probably 150 pages, very accessible. Uh, and it's written by Christians as well. So it's kind of comes at it from a Christian perspective. They even kind of have a chapter on the epistemology of religious belief. They don't really take my position on it, but that that's okay, because this is just an introduction to the issue. And uh, I've read a lot of introductions on it. None has really connected with me just like this book. So even if you're not a believer, not a Christian, this is just a good book to get you into it. How do we know? Uh, and then uh, kind of maybe if you're looking at the religious side of it, there's a good book uh, called Debating Christian Religious Epistemology. Uh, and if you're kind of familiar with like Zondervan has like these 
four views, five views books where authors of different positions can interact. It's a book like that. And so it's written introductory at an introductory level. Uh, it's got four authors, um, but they all like have a short essay, you know, and they're easy to read because like each chapter is just very short. They get an essay to lay out their position. All the other uh, authors get to say, hey, here's why they're wrong. And the original author gets like a final essay to be like, um, to respond to those criticisms. But at the beginning, it's got like a little introduction to religious epistemology. And so uh, those are two books that I think are really good, really helpful. Awesome. Yeah, I love the four view books. They're just so helpful if you're like, I don't know, I don't know anything about like, I don't this. I don't even know how to think about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely clueless. I have no idea what direction. And so you read the four view books and then you're like, oh, I have a direction now. Yeah. to look into this and you know and it's also helpful because you just see the you see steel man in each other you see interaction uh i guess that your brain moving and it's, as somebody who also appreciates a rigorous debate myself i, I love those books yeah. um so anyway yes that's that thank you for the recommendations and i hope some of our listeners take you up on them so uh anyway uh now we how do you think real quick that your this idea of a philosophy and the knowledge of epistemology. <laughs> um, sorry, when you're talking about like anyway, okay, whatever. So, and through going through epistemology, how do you think that studying philosophy can help unite the divided body? That's what I ask every single one of my guests. Honestly, I think it's that it it, it humbles us so much because like the more I study philosophy. Like, I honestly, I'll be honest with you. I thought, like, I would probably read, like, two, three books on epistemology, and I would have it down. No. <laughs> People spend their whole lives on, like, one issue. Like, on what's the definition of knowledge? People spend their whole career on that. Um, and so just kind of, it's one of those things where, like, the more you learn, you figure out there was, like, the less you actually knew to begin with. Uh, so studying philosophy, that'll, it'll do a lot to humble you. Um, and when we are humble, that is actually one of the best ways for us to be united um, under, the, of course, the, the Lordship of Christ. It's just when we realize we don't have it all figured out, <laughs> we've got a lot to learn. And uh, it encourages like this idea of reasonable disagreement that like people can disagree with you and not be stupid and not be wicked and things like that. And so philosophy at least has really helped me to realize how much I don't know that things are just not easy. And so it inspires a little bit of, you know, humility when you go into these topics. And uh, so I think that that is at least one way that it can help us to uh, be united. I, I totally agree because, you know, humility is, uh, is one of the many, many attributes we ought to have as Christians. And uh, as somebody who's uh, accused regularly of being arrogant and prideful. Uh, it is always a good reminder. And that's what's actually what's funny. Like, I really not, I probably just come off that way because uh, if I, if there's something I'm that is emphatically wrong, I will stand a hard line and I will speak very, very passionately against it. Um, doesn't mean I hate you. It means I'm just like the, the particular idea you're espousing is I find to be problematic and I'm going to speak harshly against it. Doesn't, and perhaps, and once in a while, you do find a wicked person. We're not saying that that's not a thing. But in most cases, uh, cool the cannons, you know, cool the cannons, because most likely you can have just a good discussion. That's actually one of the things I love the most. The other day, I got a really great conversation with a guy I'd never met who was a Christian, and we completely disagreed on an area of scripture. But it was such a mature conversation. I was like, dude, I'd get with that guy any day of the week, just because it was so enjoyable. And because we both acknowledge the fact that we've done a lot of study. But we also respected the other person's position. And again, as I said, at the more you study this stuff, the more you realize how much you don't know. And there are certain things I do know. And there's things I can know confidently. I can know strongly. I can speak boldly against or for. But then there's other things where it's like, you know, that's complicated. And uh, this is my position. That's yours. Here's my problems with your position. And they'll go, here's my problems with yours. And I'll go, okay, cool. Let's grab coffee and talk about it. Uh, and we can have fun. So it'd be good. So, yeah. all right. David, I really appreciate you taking the time to walk people through that. I think uh, uh, it was one of the things where I'm like, I've wanted to talk about epistemology on here with somebody. I had Dr. Liz Jackson on a long time ago. And if you guys haven't, please go listen to that because she is brilliant. I love Dr. Jackson. Um, and she's very jovial, very happy. 
uh, and smart and also has debated some some major atheists. And I thoroughly enjoyed her uh, laying the smack down on T-Jump. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, that was a good time. Did you watch that one, David? Did you I watch did. that? That was a, that, I, I enjoyed that entire thing because I don't know. She's uh, not to throw too much shade but we can throw shade at garbage philosophy. The, 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 the tears just weren't. Uh... <laughs> so sometimes you go to a debate to just, you like, okay, this is gonna be really two smart intellectuals go head to head. That'll be really interesting. And there's other times you're like, dude, you're outclassed, bro. Like you're just in a different realm. It's not your fault. <laughs> Maybe it is, I don't know, it's, it's rough. Um, anyway, I also, I felt the same way about Braxton versus uh, Dillahunty where I was like, oof. The oof. thing is with so, some people is in T-Jump and Dillahunty are both definitely these kind of people. I call them atheist presuppositionalists. <laughs> T-Jump doesn't like it when I call him that, but, um, <laughs> they, they have like this one trail that they want to go down and like, that's it and so it gets kind of boring honestly just listening to like t-jump debates uh and dillahunty debates because it's always like t-jump is always like well i can explain that through naturalistic pantheism and dillahunty's always like i'm just not convinced and like we don't get anything more than that the, the dillahunty dodge oh i'm just not convinced yeah. <laughs> i'm like Okay. You have a rebuttal. <laughs> yeah, a response would be great, man. I just, yeah, it it kills me. It, yeah, like it's, I, I uh, Dillahunty was one of the first people I had ever listened to in a debate, and I was like, and even when I was when I was, like, when I was fresh into the awesome world, I'm like, okay, I've heard some amazing, like, uh, if you ever listen to like, um, oh my goodness, the Irish Christian man, uh, older. Uh, he debates uh, Dawkins. Oh, John Lennox. Yes. Uh, I'm like, why am I struggling with this guy? Uh, listen, watch those debates. It's you know they're both intelligent people talking on a similar level, and I'm like, I I can I can sit down through that and not want to vomit most of the time, or you know choke on a rusty spoon. But anyway, um, <laughs> have you seen Jay Dyer versus Tom Jump? No. Oh. I get it. watch that watch that just if you want to laugh watch okay. Jay Dyer versus T-Jump Jay Dyer T-Jump I know what I'm doing tonight um so <laughs> all right well uh David thank you so much for being on the church split I really appreciate it and guys go check out the resources he recommended and as always stay tuned for the next episode we love you all and God bless and uh I don't know go study some epistemology and go get confused somewhere so